Grace to you and peace from God our Father, by our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today is the day that we gather as the people of the Lord to acknowledge that we are nothing but dust and ashes. We remember that under the curse of Adam, we are conceived and born in sin, and that these wages of sin is death. And so we see the severe and terrible danger that sin places us in as sin destroys, it breaks, it hinders, it warps, and ultimately it kills. And that's why we have these ashes on our forehead. We remember that we will die. Just as the Lord God told to Adam, he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so it is with the whole creation, as we live in a world that is dying, and we live in a world that is already dead. As sin has totally corrupted everything, so that there's nothing left that isn't wasting away, both physically and spiritually, and yet, even as we come before our Lord in mournful repentance, we also come before our Lord with joy, because we, by Christ's grace, do not remain as these dust and ashes. As it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we rejoice today primarily in our redemption from our sins, as we have been set free from the curse that sin brings us by the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus is the forgiver of sin. Jesus is the restorer of life. Jesus is life itself. And so if you believe that Christ, the eternal Son of God, has died and risen to forgive you and to reconcile you to his Father and our Father, then you are a Christian. And the gracious will of God saves you as you trust that his atoning sacrifice is for you. And it's because you have become like him that his sacrifice is for you. That's the point of it. And that means, that's what it means to be saved by Jesus. It means that God has declared you to be just like Jesus. That's what your baptism promises. Your baptism promises to make you into a little copy of Christ. It says in Galatians, for many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And Romans 6 teaches us, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God declares you to be holy like his son. And this means that you have been declared by God's gracious action to be Christ-like. And you are then called to live as Christ. And that's what St. Peter is exhorting us to this evening. He's teaching us what it means to be called into the grace of Jesus. As he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus our Lord, for in his divine power he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through him we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Did you hear that? You have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. He has granted to us great promises so that through these promises we partake in the divinity of God, the very divine nature of Jesus, and we escape the corruption of the world. So that by believing in Jesus, you are not a damnable son of Adam's sin, but you are a partaker of Jesus Christ and all of his excellence. And that means that you're not bound to the world that is hurtling towards its own destruction, but you are a partaker of the divinity of Jesus Christ, which means you are a recipient of heaven. And this is beyond excellence. This mystery is greater than we are, and we receive it by faith in the gospel. We poor sinners are recipients of God. God gives us himself. He plants himself in us, strangers and rebels that we are. And we think about what our sin actually is. And yet God would do this. King David confesses what sin is. He says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Did you hear that? Against you have I sinned. We think about that, that little pet sin that we have that we like to say, oh, it's harmless. But all of our sins are against the God of the universe. All of our sins stand as an offense to our Creator, and we are compulsive sinners. If you think about it, we can't help ourselves as we sin over and over and over again, and each and every sin breaks something that God has made to be good. It takes God's beauty and it makes it unrecognizably ugly. We think about what sin does as, as it breaks and warps good things, right? Think about sin and marital love, for example. Sin takes marital love and intimacy from which all new life springs and it makes it selfish and perverse and hideous. Sin twists God's gift of family and makes it into a mockery where all order and authority is flipped upside down, where children disrespect parents and parents are too preoccupied with themselves to notice. And sin takes the most natural friendships that we would have, such as like brothers and sisters, cousins and friends, and it makes them adversarial. And sin turns the loving communion of the church into maybe a bitter rabble of anger and resentment. We see how much sin perverts and breaks and distorts. Sin breaks good love. Sin warps certain truth. It denies what is good so that it can re freely rejoice in what is wicked. And this sort of sin lives in each and every one of us. And there's a little bit of all of us that 
lives in selfishness and arrogance and pride. As we often care more about what we believe or what we are entitled to rather than what our neighbor needs or what greater gifts God would give us. And that's where the mercy of God is so great. God in his mercy redeems us from this evil and he makes us into something altogether better from what we were. He puts our old sinful nature to death and replaces it with Christ as the perishable and fallen man gives way to the eternal and holy God who has become man. That's what St. Peter is talking to us about when we think about this new life that we would have in Christ. We think about what's supposed to flow and blossom, what's demanded of that life as we are to become something different than what we were. As Peter calls us to grow in faith, saying, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. As this saving faith that we have in Christ is naturally going to be accompanied by these things. Faith is going to walk hand in hand with a desire and striving towards virtue. And the word virtue in Greek can also mean manliness or valor or excellence. How often do we seek Christian excellence? How often do we strive to live a valorous life with courage, upholding the will of God? Or is it more commonly the case that we look at our life, our faith, how we are living, and what we are practicing within the church and say, good enough, it's fine. So we treat the sins that we have as more comfortable than the calling that we live in. And while we rightfully reject many of the sins of the world, I think sometimes we choose to examine the world and its sin and to condemn the world and its sin more than we choose to examine ourselves, our congregation, our school life, our home life, what we practice, what we think, how we speak. We let those little, maybe, sinful behaviors or attitudes or practices fester in us and then we begin to eat away at our life of faith in Christ. An example of this could be something as simple as the language we use around each other or who we choose to follow and listen to out in the world or what shows we watch on TV or how we manage our time or our money or how we would judge or think about the practices that we have within any congregation. And we have to ask, do we strive to be as faithful as we can be or do we accept getting by with the bare minimum? And so we think about excellence and virtue as the children of God. And of course, St. Peter says that that virtue must be accompanied by knowledge. There's no freedom without the knowledge. As the Word of God says, my children perish for lack 
of knowledge. And yet, I think that's another thing we often are complacent with as we think about what we learned in catechism class 30, 40, 50 years ago. I think I have enough. We don't review it or remember it or look at our Bibles outside of the context of church. And then we think about knowledge being accompanied by self-control. And we live in a world that denies self-control because self-control necessitates denial of self. Our sinful selves, they don't like being denied. They want to be served. Self-control, well, that gets in the way of what I want and I want right now. And self-control must be accompanied by steadfastness or, or more commonly said, patience. Patience is hard. And patience must be accompanied by piety and piety accompanied by brotherly love, which bears forth the sacrificial love of Christ living in us for each other. We think about these virtues that spring forth in faith, and often we remember how weak we are as individuals before God. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I bet we have, I bet that we outwardly lack at least maybe one of these qualities in some way or another. Yet St. Peter says that all of this has already been given and worked in you by the gospel. Remember what it said, by faith you are recipients of the divine nature of Christ. By faith God has declared you holy and sufficient in all of these things. Yet by action we lack in them. And so what are we called to do? Well, we're called to live in repentance. Knowing that we will be inadequate and incomplete in every aspect of holiness until the last day. And you know what? This grieves us. I do not know as I ought. I do not love as I ought. I'm not as brave as I want to be. I fail to do what I want to do. I grow cold to those things that I should be passionate about, and I need God's help. How often do we fall back into those old sins that we've been forgiven on? How often do we repent just to have another turnaround to repent again? Yet in all of this, what does God ask us to do? What does he invite us to do out of great love? to return to him, to trust in his good nature and love toward us, as he calls to us the same way he called through the prophet Joel, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. When we look at ourselves and we see our sin, the natural response for anyone who has faith in Jesus should be to be sorrowful. And that's okay. Because when we look at ourselves, that's what we have. When we're left to ourselves before God, we are sorry. But we must not look at ourselves. We must look to Jesus. We must look to the Jesus that saves us the Redeemer who makes us partakers in his divine grace, and return to the Lord our God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he will relent.
from disaster. And we see that even when it comes to our own virtue, we will fall short. And so we must continually live by faith in the forgiveness of sins. And even as we're called to be righteous and steadfast and to grow in knowledge and to grow in love and affection, we must rest only on the righteousness, love, and affection that we have in Christ, the one who has died to redeem us. So that as we grow in faith and all those things that are meant to accompany faith, we must learn every day to depend more and more on the Lord who is merciful to sinners. As we begin to depend less and less on ourselves and more and more upon him. And so if you want to be a better person who lives a loving and pious life, you must begin with repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Do you want to be a better Christian? Do you want to be a better spouse? Do you want to be a better parent or citizen or friend or church member or whatever else you might live as as a child of God? Then live in repentance. Acknowledge your sins in all of these areas of your life. And then trust in Jesus to take those sins away from you. And then go out tomorrow and do it all over again. Return to the Lord your God, and he will hear you. He will care for you, as you will have to repent again and again and again for the rest of your life in this fallen world, as you will contend with your sinful nature, as you will realize that you can't do it, you'll realize that the greatest gift that you have is the gift that puts that sinful nature to death. The forgiveness of sins that you have in Jesus is sufficient to bring you into everlasting life. And so we do not let this faith rest and lie still and do nothing. We live by it. We live in the repentance, which is not complacent, and that means that we strive to do what is good by supplementing our faith with everything from virtue and patience to love. As we live in our calling as Christians, as we remember that we are sinners who are declared holy by the death and resurrection of Jesus, so also we strive to live in that holiness by faith in the gospel. And so strive every day to live in virtue and courage and strength in the gospel. Strive every day to grow in knowledge of God and of his word. Strive every day to tame your passions and live in self-control. Strive every day to grow in brotherly affection and in the steadfast love of the gospel. And when you fail, because you will, return to the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the gospel of Christ. As St. Peter says, that if you live by faith in the gospel, the gospel will succeed in bringing these things about. As he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will not fall. So Christians, dear ones, exercise your faith in Jesus. Live in true repentance. Trust in the gospel that takes away your sins. And as you repent, leave every sin behind you so that you grow in true grace. Trust in the gospel and then live by the gospel. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and allow repentance to guard you from coldness 
and complacency so that your faith lives in the grace of Christ. Allow the forgiveness of sins to keep the fire of faith warm in you so that you do not grow tired of doing and living in the gifts of Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the forgiveness of sins that redeems us from the dust of death and the ashes of hell. And we pray, dear Father, that the forgiveness of sins would cause us continually to return to you without fear, trusting that you are indeed gracious and merciful. And as we live in true repentance, Lord, we pray that our faith will be blessed with the fruits of faith as we live in the care of Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith and to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.